0: My husband and I are, we work with the ministry called Chi Alpha. And if you're not familiar with Chi Alpha, it is the Assemblies of God (laughs) Outreach to secular universities across the nation. So we're on about 300 campuses nationwide, and we're international, and my husband and I are located right in the heart of Dayton. We oversee the greater Dayton section, and we have three campuses there. Wright State University, home of the Wright Brothers, um, Sinclair Community College, the largest community college in the state, and the University of Dayton. If you watch any kind of March Madness, you should know who the University of Dayton is by now. So we are proud of our little hometown. We're not from Dayton originally, neither one of us, But we came to Dayton for college, God transformed our lives through the ministry of Chi Alpha, and now we just want to stay. (laughs) We are lifers in Dayton. And um, what we're going to be talking on today is is going to be heavily influenced by our culture, which is the up-and-coming culture, the campus culture. It's the people who are going, that are training and learning right now to be our influencers and our world shapers. And so... We also fit into that category of millennials, and so we'll talk a little bit from that perspective, but a lot of our research is going to come from just national research of, like, where the trends of our culture are and how, as a movement of believers, we can adapt and adjust and understand how to share the gospel in any context. Does that make sense? Awesome. So. We'll teach for about 45 minutes, maybe a little bit less, and then there'll be Q&A at the end. So if you have questions and you really are burning to ask them, don't worry, hopefully we'll hit those. But here's the first thing that I want to do. I was going to um, make you write this down, but we have so many people that we went ahead and put it on a slide to make it easier. If you could pop over. Oh yeah, this is us. I did that. All right, okay. So hopefully you are here with maybe somebody else that you know, or somebody that's like nearby you. What we'd like to do is make this first part a little bit interactive. And as you look at this list of identifiers, or categories, or even labels, whatever you want to call them, I want you to pick one that just pops out to you, that like, either you read it and you go, whoa, or, oh yeah, I connect with that, or something like that. And I want you to discuss, just for a few minutes, with the people around you. If someone showed up in your ministry context, church, um, missions, whatever you identify with, if they showed up as identifying with one of these, how would they connect in? Would they feel welcome? Um, would, would your ministry know how to deal with them? Okay, so that's kind of where we're going with this. So take like the next four or five minutes Talk about that amongst yourselves, and then we'll come back to it, so okay? Just yeah, just pick one that just kind of sticks up. out to you. No, 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 I think I think there's some debate there, so. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be challenging. It's supposed to be Go ahead.
1: If you guys need to move to look at it. You
0: can... Oh, yeah. 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 I chose, and what was a, like a quick feedback on the conversation that you had? Anybody? We covered the sexual aspect of transgender, queer, so I think we all did the same thing. And the, the common theme was we better be ready. Mm. Love, love, period, and mm-hmm. be ready. Right on. I saw this hand over here, too. Uh, I don't know what gender blue is. Ah, oh, hey, great question. Um, basically, um, it's it means non-binary. It means that I neither identify with female or with male, but at any time, depending on where my life is, I could identify with either, but I'm not required to. So, so it's, you think of fluidity, that's kind of what that means, of going in and out.
1: We, we didn't know all these terms. <laughs> <laughs> Google's our friend, okay? Urban Dictionaries. Like.
0: Anybody else? One more person, real quick. What was the word you picked, and what was the conversation centered around? Yes. <clears throat> Mm. it's in the news a lot lately and, yeah. and, and
1: you, you brought up you know, a good, good question would you be able to handle that
0: in, in your church you know? would you allow that person would you be the eyes of Jesus and, and see them just as a person with another sin or would you see them differently and let them, you know, would you let them be in leadership in your church if they were transgender great Jesus, conversation Jesus, those are challenging, aren't they? They are, and I love that. I love that you got to the heart of it just that quickly in there. These um, these are definitely identifiers that are that are present currently in our culture, and so just to throw your mind for a loop, what if all of these were one person? And to be honest, they are. We work at a secular university. And one day while I was at our, what we call the hub, which is like a table that we set up with the intentionality of making connection points with students. And um, while we were promoting um, a series on um, sexuality, we had a young woman that came up to us because she had been rescued out of the sex slave industry. And so she had only had her freedom for about a year. She had been in it for 10 years. So from the time that she was 13 to the time that she was 23... And she lived at home during that time. I can't go into all of those details because that's just not this session, but there are a lot of things about the, the sex slave industry that we just don't fully comprehend. Um, this young lady was trafficked by her youth pastor who wooed her into the church and, um, and then used that as a way to exploit her. And so it was, um, it was a very uh, unique relationship that we started with her. While she wouldn't... Um, Oh yeah. She wouldn't totally say that she's a hundred percent Christian, but she would say that she identifies with the ideals and values of Jesus. And so she associates with Chi Alpha, has a good interaction with Andy and I, um, but has some of these hang-ups, And as a result, you saw a lot of those other words. And so one day, Andy and I are actually um, itinerating right now, and that's the process of raising our support and raising our budget, so we're not actually present on the campus for this school year. So when I met her, we were on campus. And um, one day, we showed up at our Chi Alpha office, Andy did, to pick up some stuff from the office, and here comes this student. And really, what would be more appropriate for me to say is um, to use the pronouns that they identify with. It would be they and them this student does not identify with binary pronouns. And that is a conversation now, okay? And so I know, I'm like blowing your mind here. I'm introducing you to some new things, but it would be offensive for me to call this student a her or a she. More about that in a second. So Andy pulls up onto campus, sees this student, gets out of the car, says, how's your day going? They begin to just kind of explain their day. It had been kind of hectic and stuff. And um, if you could actually go back to that slide real quick. In, the, in this quick conversation, they self-identify with all of these things. She starts to ex- they start to explain themselves. See, it's even hard for me. <laughs> and um, these are the things that they describe themselves as. And, and it's important to even note that to this community, all of these things are different identifiers. They're different parts of, of um, their sexual expression. And that's why they have all these different terms for it, which is like not out of this world to us, you know? So anyway, i got to keep moving. So um, Andy starts having this conversation and says, oh, you know, we have our Wednesday night meetings. And they're like, yeah, but I have class then. I can't come. Okay, okay. But you know that we have our Bible studies, which are male and, which one would you rather come to, male or female? And they said, well, actually, uh, neither. I would not be comfortable with that. I'd much prefer a co-ed Bible study. We were like, oops. <laughs> you know, like, there was no access point for this student into our ministry. And um, so even though we were off campus, that conversation really sparked something in us. And we felt compelled to find connection points with them, even though we didn't have a normal campus relationship. And so over this last year, um, when her, when the student's roommate was displaced, um, we provided housing at the Kaiafa House, temporary housing, until they got into another apartment. Um, we raised money to cover rent when that displaced roommate um, left with her with her finances, and this student needed um, help covering rent for a month until they got another roommate. So we raised the funds for that. Their GLBT organization on campus had a chosen family thanksgiving dinner i'll let you extrapolate that but basically a lot of times when they self-identify with these things they're no longer accepted by their biological families and so they have instead replacement families or chosen families and we got invited to that dinner which spoke volumes about the relationship that we were establishing Um, we didn't get to go but it was still cool and then they are finally graduating at 26 she's they are graduating with their undergraduate degree, and we've been invited to the graduation party. And so we've had to rethink, as we're going back to campus, um, what kind of changes need to happen in our ministry structure in order pro- to provide inroads to the gospel, inroads to connect to Jesus, inroads to connect to the gospel for this demographic. So I'll let you go.
1: Pretty stirring? Yeah. Yeah. This is honestly this is why we love campus ministry. We don't have all the answers, and I sorry to inform you that we won't give you a lot of answers today. Um, but hopefully, we, this has raised a lot of good questions and a lot of good conversations to start having with your leadership of your church. And I'm not sure if I think Heather mentioned that before, but um, I want to look at just a couple quick scriptures. Um, so Luke 7, if you guys have your Bibles, uh, Luke 7, verse 33. Um, I'm just going to read it in, in the NIV. And I, there's kind of these spiritual conundrums, I don't know if that's the right word to use it, but basically, we see what we do as Christians, we do these things, and then we see those, you guys ever read the Bible, and you're like, that doesn't make sense, like, I, I, that, Jesus, you're doing it wrong, is there, like, honestly, have you ever thought that, like, Jesus, you shouldn't talk to that woman, or Jesus... You go on the, you're, you're not being pure enough, you know, like you yelling, flipping the tables, like maybe just kind of like push them aside, you know, that would have been a better idea, right? Anybody thought that? Anybody honestly? Just me? Really? I mean, I, I, Jesus is perfect, but it doesn't mean I agree always, but when I disagree with Jesus, I'm the one that's wrong, Come on. right? So I need to kind of figure that out, and so I read, this, I read scriptures, I'm like, I don't, it doesn't compute, right? And so, anyway, these are some things that doesn't compute with my brain. Luke seven for John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, eating, eating, sorry neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he has a demon. This is um, to the context Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, kind of in a rebuke. The Son of Man speaking of himself came eating and drinking and you say here is a glutton and a drunkard, of a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But then, he, then he goes on to say, but wisdom is proved right by all of her children. Verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus, okay, Pharisees, they're not lights, right? So one of the unliked people, the hated people, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Jesus said, no, you have to come to my church to have a Christian dinner at my church, right? Is that what he said? No. no. What did he do? He said, he went over to the Pharisee's house, reclined, you know, I mean, that's like a, that's not an awkward sitting around. It's like, he's, he's there, he's camping, right? He reclined at the table, the woman in the town who had lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating with the Pharisees' house. So she came there with, with an alabaster jar of perfume. as she stood behind him and his feet at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. It's a crazy story. If you put in a little bit of modern context, Jesus, perfect Jesus. Religious people are calling him a drunk and a glutton. A drunk and a glutton. You don't eat a meal and then have somebody call you a glutton. You eat a lot of meals and have somebody call you, right? (laughs) So Jesus is living a lifestyle that is contrary to the religious people of the day. He's living among the hated people. He's living among the mistreated. He's living among... The people who are outcast, who don't have a place in society. In, or you know, a lot of the times in the religious situations. And there's so much to this. I'm not going to give you, like, I don't, I don't have all the answers, okay? And, like, all, that, all those terms, we don't agree with all those terms, right? But we just love the, we, we want to love the person. Jesus wants to rescue that student. Amen. I don't know how it's going to break through all that, but Jesus wants to rescue that student. I've never been called a drunkard or a glutton, okay? I went to a couple parties in college. And I spent the night, and I woke up the next morning, and I smelled like cigarettes. Not because I was smoking cigarettes, but I smelled like cigarettes. And I felt so bad about it, I'm thinking, I must be doing something wrong, right? But if you think about what Jesus is doing, I wonder if Jesus smelled like alcohol. I wonder if Jesus smelled like the people around him. You know, so many times, like, if somebody were to walk into our ministry context, reeking of beer and reeking of cigarettes, I would immediately think, what have you been doing, especially if it's one of our leaders, I'd be like, we need to have a sit-down talk and go through the Bible and not talk about this stuff. But what if they were actually among people that needed Jesus and they'd spent time with them? Does that make sense? I know we could say, well, well you've got to be around believers. and I agree with that. But I'm just trying to open up some good conversation, okay? Mark 2. i just got to go through this quicker. So, Mark chapter 2. Verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax collector's booth. He said, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner, where? Not at the church brunch. It was at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors. Oh, my goodness. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Isn't that a question that we ask of of Christians today? Why are they hanging around those people? Well, maybe that's their friend. You know, maybe they're just trying to figure out how to help them come closer to Jesus. I'm not saying all of our motives are correct all the time. But I'm just saying, some of these questions that we need to start asking ourselves a little more often. That's kind of like asking a doctor, why do you spend time at a hospital? There's dirty people there. There's bloody people there. You might get a disease there. Right? Jesus is the great physician. He heals us. He takes care of us. He cleans us up. He has to be among dirty people. Right? Right? And he states that in verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. Now, we've been traveling a lot, around a lot to a lot of different churches, and we both grew up in the church, and so we're not experts on the church, but we, just, we probably are really opinionated millennials, okay? I think that's probably a fair assessment, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we didn't grow up Pentecostal either, okay? That's true. So, but I, I've noticed that a lot, a lot of the different places that we've been to, it fits a really, really simple demographic. What was the persona that the main speaker? You guys remember? Like he, he, the main speaker gave an example of a church that they gave a persona to. Do you remember what it was? Six-year-old, Six-year-old African American that watches. TBN. TBN. I love it. I was like, man, I've s i know what they're talking about. Not like personally,
0: you know. But I know. Okay. I've like met that. those Thanks
1: people. I've met those people and I've been in those, some of those churches. So like what would be the persona of your of your church? And not we're not we're not here to bash the church. It yeah. is the hope of the world. Okay, but yeah. what, what would be maybe the persona of your church? Anybody want to?
0: Our church, I believe, our philosophy is we we hate the sin and love the sinner. I think everybody's welcome our church, but our pastor is scripture totally scripture oriented. He's not gonna hold back the the calls we've got to call them, but he's gonna tell it it is, but we're not gonna reject somebody for
1: coming and hearing the word either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you what would be like the 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 perfect demographic of your church, would you say? Like if there was like a single person like was a sixty-five African American black woman watches TVN. I don't think for our
0: community, but our demographic in the community, I think we're about a regular. A good, good, ethnically balanced um, congregation.
1: Good. good. Anybody else? Anybody else have a, a thought? Like, this, this is kind of the, the persona of our church? Yeah. Oh, you want to say? Karen's
0: making me share. <laughs> <laughs> he said, just so you know, he's not like making it on the chin, but it's his idea. So he said it was probably more like a 50 or 60 year old woman. honestly. Not always, but there's just certain, totally. whatever is the most demonstrative in your church, I think. And we've, we've been there a short time yeah. in yeah. leadership. So I think it's just, you know, maybe, that, that might be the message they express. They love you, but then they're... But you fit like, really well you from, if I'm you're in this context. Yeah. So I'm the mother of a 15-year-old girl, and you just don't know by the hour
1: what you're going to get. Totally. Gambrials, you can always count them to be honest. So. <laughs> I would say a lot of the churches that we've went to it, it, if you're a middle-aged in white individual that's Republican and um, Pentecostal and leaning, I would say you fit. It's just very natural. I'm not saying, like, you're not welcome if you're black. You're not welcome if you're Democratic. I'm just saying, like, it's super comfortable for that type of demographic. And just a, and a lot of the things that we've experienced. And even even the ministry that we do, it's like, man, it's super comfortable for people who are, like, I'm either not against Pentecostal stuff, or I'm like really for it, so that like they meet, they meet and they come into Alpha really well. But if they have questions about like the Spirit and that kind of stuff, sometimes that's harder. They don't always feel welcome. And so it's not. I'm just. I know I'm like stepping on toes, and that's not my intention. But my our heart is we have to look at everybody that's around us and say, how can we get you into the body of Christ? How can we get you into the body of Christ? I may disagree with everything that you stand for, but how can I get you into the body of Christ? Not necessarily leadership, maybe not the pastor of our church, <laughs> but can you serve in some context, maybe? Can you do something? Can you come to this event? Can, you, can I go to where you're at? That, those are the questions that we need to be asking if we want to exist in an America that's not Christian-leaning. Okay? And I think that a lot, there's been a lot of stuff out there that you guys, it's easier to find. but Okay, sorry. All right, we're not a three-point, you know, three-bullet-point type of couple, so if you guys have anything worthwhile to write down, hopefully you've already started. All right, last one. So 1 Corinthians 9, 19. This is Paul talking. Though I'm free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a... To those under the law, I become like one under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul's basically informing that he has laid down, he has every right, he, he's the most religious, he's got the best birthright, he's got everything that you want, as far as this religious context is concerned. But he's saying, I'm laying it all down so that some people can find Jesus. That's a really powerful thing. I, I'm, we're, my wife is just about to be ordained, I'm a licensed uh, AG pastor, we love the AG, we love... The 16 Fundamental Truths, we love being Pentecostal, we love Chi Alpha, we love churches. But when I encounter people on the campus, I don't introduce myself as pastor. You know why? Because they have so many broken things of them as a pastor. Do I have the right to be be introduced as a pastor? Probably. Do I have the right to all of our leadership to call us pastor? Probably. But I think on some context, there's a hurdle that if I take that title... That doesn't mean I'm against pastor. I am a pastor. I can't be against myself, right? Sometimes I can't be, right? (laughs) But we have to ask those questions of, are there hurdles that we've created for people, either by purpose or by accident, that are hindering them from the gospel? And I think when we look at scripture, it's really challenging where we see Jesus jumping over hurdles to get to people. Anybody hurdles in high school? No? A few people? Yeah. You got the hurdle. Don't make it hurt because I'll, I'll pull something. But, but He's just jumping over hurdles left and right to get to people that have been forgotten or rejected or have no access. It was so, that was such a mind-blowing thing when that student said, neither Bible side. I don't want to go to either one. I was just like, well, what about purity? How, how are we going to talk about sex right, among guys and girls? And, and what does it look like for, for a guy that struggles with homosexuality to be mentored by a man? Like the, those same rules. Like you have to ask questions like that. Does that make sense? And so it's just like this. This is sometimes our world. Some days. And so we just we love it. We love Jesus. I think I should probably give it back to you. <laughs> All right. Let me let me finish this up. So we, um, I personally believe, and I, there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of research, but I really think that in order to to figure out that Christianity is not like as pro America as it used to be, just go to your towns. Just talk to people. Just go to the bars. Maybe talk to your pastor and say, hey, I'm going to do some research on a Sunday morning. I'm not going to show up to church. I'm just going to go around town and see what everybody else in this town is doing on a Sunday morning. Right? You just have to ask people. People are not as pro-Christian as they used to be. Um, and we see that a lot on campus. But last thing. So we, I believe that we cannot just sit in Christian events and calling to the masses and say, hey, come. It's a great Bible study. We have this profound speaker. We have this incredible worship team. For, that we paid millions of dollars to import from wherever country, and they're just going to blow the socks off this town. Well, they don't, even, they don't even know what worship is. They don't know why they're supposed to like that band, right? And so we have to change some of those things. Uh, we, can no long, we no longer have the liberty to be a Christian in a pro-Christian environment. We have to act more like missionaries in a foreign land.
0: So. <laughs> Thanks, babe. All right. So we're going to turn our focus onto this postmodern world that Andy's talking about, this post-Christian culture. And um, in a recent study, a sample population was surveyed on their level of interest in Christianity, and um, everybody fell into one of five categories. And this survey is representative of our nation, the United States at large. So everybody fell into one of these categories. Either they were actively seeking faith. Christianity. They were somewhat interested. They were apathetic. We all know those people. They're not interested. we we'll probably have someone in our family like this. Or they're hostile. You know? So it was one of these five categories. Anybody want to take a guess of like what the, what the highest percentage, which category was? Not interested. Okay, not interested, apathetic. Go ahead and give us those. Totally. Apathetic. Of our nation... Statistically speaking, 5% of people are actively seeking out church, Christianity, the gospel. So you can apply this to your cultural context and think about who are the people that are coming to our church? Are they these people that are already interested? Or do they fit into one of these other categories? Only 12% were somewhat interested. 66% were apathetic. 12% 12% were not interested, and 5% were hostile. Sometimes we think that this hostile category should be loud, larger because these are louder voices. And that tends to be who gets the media coverage, who gets who makes it into the school newspaper. That's how it is on our campus. Nobody writes an article about how we give cookies out, but then they write an article about the what we call the quad gods. <laughs> People that come out and say, you're wearing shoes, you're going to hell. Um, <laughs> you laugh, <laughs> but pretty much everything about me right now would be wrong. Um, but this is a this is a what, what you call like your normal bell curve, right? And right in the middle is this apathetic um, apathetic category. And so when we think about reaching our spheres, reaching our communities, most of the people that you are reaching don't care two cents about what you have to say. They don't they don't care. Not they're not even they're not even hostile. They just don't wake up on Sunday morning and think about it. It doesn't cross their mind when they're worrying about wrestling meets and they're worrying about taking care of their kids and they're they're improving their houses so that everything in their house is white. That's like in right now. If you're on Instagram it's like my whole house is white. And I I'm just like uncolor. I want some texture and stuff.
1: So this is probably one of the biggest events that OMN has ever put on. Like nine hundred people here. Like where's most of the world yeah it's (laughs) it's basically these two people. Most of our our communities have they don't care at all that we're here. Does that make sense? this is extremely impactful for our movement. But most of the people that we're this movement is for this movement, well we're we're here for these people. We're not just here to reach the somewhat interested and sometimes we we forget that we really value, you know, when, when people that are, they do rededications, and those are absolutely valuable, and that kind of stuff, but we forget that there's a slew of people that aren't even on that spectrum that were.
0: What does Jesus sum up his mission as? I have come to seek, to seek them out wherever they are, wherever they're sleeping, you know, and to save the lost. And these people are able to be found, <laughs> So what I want to do real quick is, can we transition over to that? I'm going to show you a quick two-minute video, and we're just going to talk about um, quickly how church used to work when when the culture aligned with traditional values, why things worked, and then we're going to talk about when the culture doesn't align with traditional values, what what are our options. So if you slide it, no, 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 it's on the desktop. If you slide it over to the left, it'll come up. There we go. Oh, no. You'll just have to... Oh, I don't think we have... What, sound. Okay. We'll see if this works or not. Be very, very quiet. This is the missional church. There's no microphone. as a recorder. Okay. So basically what it's saying is that traditionally the church would spend all of its resources on um, building great worship sessions and building up great leaders who are great speakers and they would have events like, it says Old Person Bunko and Single Mingle and Messiah Fest Extreme, you know? And they would welcome people from the community. Yay, people would like that. Yeah, and so what it's saying is what Andy said earlier of like all these people would be the same. They would have the same interests, they would have the same um, ideals. But then this guy asks, but what about all the other people that aren't like us? And so then, traditionally, the church would spend money, they would send out mailers, they would put ads in the newspaper, they would use radio station time, and they would have the greatest event ever! Ever! And that that was a (laughs) blimp. And it would... It was all about getting people into the church to hear this great speaker... And then invitation became equal to evangelism. I just want you to ponder on that for a minute. And then in the video, what what happens is someone asks the question of like, but what if we empowered our people in the church to go out and reach all the people who are not in our church? These people. That guy. (laughs) So then the church empowers the people to be the church In their communities, in their schools, and in their place of employment. It's an outward focus. Yeah, that was all it was. That was how simple it is. So it's It's all centered around this idea of when the culture identified with our values, it was very easy to create things that invited people in and made people feel welcome. When the culture no longer has the, the values of Christianity, of the church, there are very few things that we can add that people are like, "That's what I've been wanting to do." But as a millennial, I can say that the heart of people, the, heart of pe- the hearts of people are still looking and are looking for relationship. And they're looking for it in their context. If they are part of the model airplane club, they want to have relationships with people that share their common interests. And sometimes we forget that we have parts of our life that are outside of church. But those parts of our lives are so valuable to building relationships with people who don't have an access point to the gospel or to our churches. Um, There is a huge rise of reason and logic in um, just in our approach to culture. Like as as a human race, we value reason over faith. And that results in secular solutions to our problems. And so people are no longer turning to faith-based solutions even for faith-based problems. Because logic and reason do not align with faith. And so... um, In an article um, written by the Pew Research Center, this is a really great um, Christian-based organization that does a lot of statistical research, um, they said, for years, surveys have indicated that members of the youngest generation of adults in the U.S., so we're talking like my, my generation, millennials, they are far less likely than older Americans to identify with religious groups. But a major Pew Research Center survey finds that as time goes on, that already large share of religious, unaffiliated millennial adults is increasing significantly. So they're not coming to the church in droves and getting saved. They're in droves becoming more and more unidentified with religion. And so the, number, the numbers are increasing, if you will, against our favor. A high percentage of members of the millennial generation, those who have entered adulthood in the last several years, are religious nuns, not (laughs) N-U-N, N-O-N-E-S, saying that they are atheists or agnostics or that the religion is nothing in particular. At the same time, an increasing share of older millennials, um, that's probably more our age demographic, there's like older millennials and younger millennials, also identify as nuns with more members of that group rejecting religious labels in recent years. Overall, 35% of adult millennials um, are religiously unaffiliated, far more than millennials that have no religious affiliation compared to those who identify as evangelical. So like 21% of millennials are Protestant, 16% are Catholic, and 11% are mainline Protestant. So evangelical Protestant versus mainline. Although older generations have grown somewhat more religiously unaffiliated, so our boomers are still, some are trending that way, millennials remain far more likely to identify as religious nuns. The 35% of millennials who do not identify with a religion is double the share of unaffiliated boomers, which is only 17%. And three times the share of members of the silent generation, and that is only 11%. So, i can click to the next one, real quick. Siri. 17 10 off. No, no, one, next one. Hugh Halter and Matt Smay are um, missiologists of our generation. And they wrote a book called The Tangible Kingdom. And in it they say, in old Christendom, leaders got to pick their followers. In post-everything, no-authority world, followers now choose their leaders. They won't be picking them based on their leader's ability to preach or organize a religious institution. They will be following people they want to be with and live like. We're talking about the value of our character, the value of the relationships that we build with the people around us. The culture trends away from religion and leaning into secularism. um, Here are just some some quick stories from the campus. We told you about the first student who said, what Bible study do I go to? You know, we were like, Andy called me, and I cried. And I was like, I hate itineration. I don't want to raise any more support. I just want to go back to campus, and I want to lead that co-ed Bible study. And then, I don't think any of them are in here. We proposed the idea to our staff, and somebody was like, I think I disagree with that point. And I was like, who are you? You know, like, we're going to meet some needs here, people. Um... Go to, um, go to that. Uh, oh, yeah. To to yeah, five seconds. What is this about? Five seconds.
1: <laughs> All right. So, we're planning a mission trip for the summer to Sweden. It's one of the most secular countries in the entire world. Okay? Second in the nation, Second or in the, nation. in the global world. So, we had one of the students, a very young student, just got water baptized, just got saved in our ministry, and uh, went to this mission trip uh, meeting. And he was like telling dirty jokes when the whole thing started. I wasn't there. <laughs> and so, he gives this quote. This is one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. He says, so he's cussing, he says, oh, don't worry, I don't cuss on mission trips.
0: <laughs>
1: and I, you can take that two ways. You can take that one way. Get that guy out of that meeting. He is not going on a mission trip, right? Anybody feel like that? <laughs> feel like that okay? But then if you, you slow down and just think, isn't it great that we have students that are so young in this yes. whole right. thing that they don't even understand how... Silly this is. You know what I mean? But I'm so glad that they call Kai their family. I don't care if this, I don't care if they never figured out, I mean, obviously I do want them to, right? But that student is called Kai Alpha his family Come on. and his friends. And that is valuable to me. So I disagree with the quote, right? But I just think it's hilarious.
0: We were at fall retreat um, in, the, in the fall and um, I came out of the bathroom and I grabbed Andy and I was like, hey, there were some girls in the bathroom cussing.
1: Like, he, we're like,
0: we're yes. Like, yes. You know, like they want to be a part of our family. They want to be around us. We have done something right in building relationships with people that aren't like us.
1: Right. It's not because we value cussing. It's we no. The fact that we realize that we're, <laughs> I don't, I don't
0: we're fully like, Pentecostal you. and believe in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit.
1: <laughs> but we, we were celebrating the fact that we didn't just pull Christian kids into our We weren't sheep stealing. Room. We pulled kids, we pulled students that didn't, you know, didn't have a
0: All right, give me the next one. This one? Okay, so if you can't read the board, it says gay dodgeball. So we were sitting around and we were thinking it's nearly impossible to build a bridge with the GLBT group on campus. What do we have in common with them? And we sat and we brainstormed on this, like, what? No, not that, no. No, not that either. You know, don't have that in common. Definitely disagree on this. You know, like, where, where is the bridge here? And one of our students was in um, class with the president of um, the homosexual group on campus, and all of a sudden, they struck up a conversation on philanthropy work. We both value caring for the needs of the underprivileged. And we were like, bingo. That is something. So their president says we should do something together. And our student was like, absolutely, yes. And so our interim director, because we're not on campus this season, um, uh, went into the office of, um, the GLBT office on campus, approached um, Petey Peterson, who is their director, um, and um, says, what would you f- how would you feel about doing a dodgeball tournament with us to raise money for an organization called Feed One and all $10 of every team that registers goes to feed a child for a month. It's $10 feeds a child for a month. There's no overhead cost because it's under Convoy of Hope. Many of you know what Convoy of Hope is. And because of the administrative help of Convoy of Hope, you give $10 to feed one, all $10 goes to the kids. We're like, hey, what do you think about that? Four people teams, 10 bucks for a team to play, all the money goes to the kids. And they were like, great! Coming to find out, Petey Peterson is a former... GLBT, dodgeball tournament player. You know, like, they had a league together, and he was on it. They were on it. (laughs) And we were like, what are the chances, Holy Spirit, you know? But but what do we want to do? We want to build relationships. And it's very possible that some people will look at that and go, you know, we don't let the yeast into the bread. And I would be like, yeah, but we go out into the highways and the byways and we invite the people who have been rejected into the family of God. And that's, right now, all we're doing is feeding kids and hitting each other with foam balls. You know what? It's where it's going to start. But I believe that we're going to build some relationships out of that. It's Ten minutes total. Yeah. Good, you know. This is a fun story. If you think about it, we want to plant a coffee shop It's not for Christians. But a lot of Christians build coffee shops for Christians, so we're moving beyond that. Anyway, so, no, 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 go back, go back. Okay. So here, yeah, this is my last point. Actually, it is. Um, <laughs> um, talking about the missiologists of our day, um, missiologists Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch deal with the structural framework of churches... So, like, how do we organize our churches? How do we make decisions about the, the ministries we will have and the in the structure of leadership and stuff? They have write a book, and they're, and they're talking about this. And what they're saying in the book is that Christology, the person and the work of Jesus, our high view of Christ, has got to be the starting point of everything we do. Because if we have a love for the gospel, not just the knowledge of the gospel, but a love that compels us because of who the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings is, that that will fuel a mission. That will define our missiology. Our mission doesn't come out of obligation because we are part of the church. It comes out of this love, this understanding of the gospel, for his love to do something in response. And out of response of that mission, should we then make decisions about how we will structure our churches and our ministries? That's what this book is talking about. But often what happens is we feel a call, you know, like someone feels a call as a pastor, and they're like, this is the kind of church I want to have because we're going to have these structures and we're going to do these things. And because we do these things, I think we'll be able to reach these kinds of people. And that'll be a good thing. If we can reach these kinds of people, then we'll tell them about the gospel. But really, if I'll just read it to you real quick and then I'll give it to Andy. He says, our Christology informs our mission, which in turn... Which in turn determines our ecclesiology, our structure. If we get this the wrong way around and allow our notions of church to qualify our sense of purpose and mission, we can never be disciples of Jesus and we will never be an authentic missional church. Churches have got this basic formula wrong, have never churches that have gotten this basic formula wrong never really engage in mission and so lose touch with Jesus. These churches spend all of their time discussing or arguing about the forms of worship, the church furniture, the timing of services and programs, one service, two services, and fail to recognize that our ecclesiology flows more naturally out of our sense of mission. These churches become closed sets as a result, and their experience of Jesus at the center fades into a memory of the time when they were really doing something. It becomes a matter of history rather than an experience of mission now. It is important to recover the idea that the church connects with Jesus through mission, not through getting church meetings right. If our question is, we love Jesus so we have to reach our community and all of our people are available on Saturday nights for some reason, then we're having service on Saturday night. Instead of, I hate churches that have church on Sunday morning, so we're having it on Sunday night or Saturday night. You know what I mean? Like that 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 is wrong because it's gotta flow out of a love for the gospel, a heart for Jesus, and then the mission to reach his people.
1: Okay, so uh just really in closing and then I'll that's the rest of the time for uh Q and A I know I've for it. and why we're so weird. And so if you want some more information about that, I'm <laughs> uh, pass the package. We are at 92%. We praise God. <laughs> so we're, um, we're ready to be back on campus. And so um, if you guys want, you can take one if you want. If you don't want to take one, that's totally okay. Um, yeah. But it's got our information in the Last thing. Um, so I, we're not going to do the questions. Um, okay. So we don't have time for this. But basically... Um we have some resources and you can write these down, they're all good stuff. One thing I do to challenge myself, I listen to NPR, okay? And sometimes it drives me nuts because I read, I listen to what other people think, okay? And I disagree with a lot of what happens on NPR, okay? Probably a lot of people here, okay. But I listen to these articles, I listen to these talk shows, and I think, what would it look like if those people that are interviewed came to my church? How would I get that person into our Christian group? How would I get that person into my life? Not just do I disagree with them because of understand stance of abortion, or do I disagree with them on the chance of homosexuality? I disagree with so much stuff that happens on campus. So much stuff. Probably like 98% of the stuff that's like firm on the college campus, we cannot stand. But I think Jesus disagreed a lot with the people around him. Even his disciples. I think he met and he ate and he Right?
0: I think our t- if you want to like, package this up with a takeaway, I think what we want you to walk away with is new questions to ask in your mind, in your context, as you're sitting here processing this information. What kinds of questions can you take back to your team to have these conversations of, like, how are we creating inroads for the gospel for our community, for our sphere of influence? Are there any gaps in how we're doing this process? That's good. Okay. Any questions in the last few minutes?
1: Questions, comments, we'd love to hear it. Can I anybody think some. of somebody that... Hold on, there Sorry.
0: was somebody. It was good stuff. So <laughs> good stuff, it was good
1: stuff. It was really good. so don't walk that. away feeling like people are mad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a ton. <laughs> and the one was, like, arguable. <laughs> <laughs> and just so you know, we're, we're figuring this out. We are challenged regularly about this. We, we do, we, the last couple years, we've been so busy on the campus, we, we really neglected our neighborhood. And so our neighbors uh, would not, like, speak that highly of us as far as Jesus is concerned. And so we recognize that. We feel really bad about that, convicted. And so we're, we're making steps to change that. We have, we have cookouts and campouts for all the students I'm thinking like when did I when did I have my neighbor over for a, a camp a cookout that you know and they're all they're all divorced older women and they all drink a ton on the weekends. You know,
0: like, but I we are have gonna them have them over. over. <laughs> 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 so, I drinking
1: comments? Does anybody just by show hands? Anybody like can you think of one person that some of this would apply to? They would never walk through the doors of our church, and I really want to. I feel more stirred to go reach them. And then you love them. Okay. Hopefully, you guys have those people in your life. If not, go we'll find them. I know they're even mm-hmm. now. The okay. mm-hmm. You may have to go late at night to go find some of it. So you no.
0: cool. Well, hey, thanks for hey, being thanks with so us. Yup. Yeah. <laughs>